what is it about suffering? What is it about suffering that causes us to turn away from who we're called to be in Christ? What is it about suffering that causes us to turn away from who we're called to be in our relationship with God and what we're called to do? Suffering takes us away from that. Why? Why does it do that? Guys, I'm messing, my, my, my title for this sermon is Don't Be Salty. Don't be salty. Don't be salty. Man, a few Sundays ago, I had a really hard Sunday. A few Sundays ago was Masters Sunday. You guys know I'm a, I used to be a PGA golf professional. I love the Masters golf tournament. And I had a terrible, terrible day. I had a killer headache. I, I had to take a nap in the second service that day here at Riverside because I couldn't keep myself awake. And then we had a meeting for Streamsong afterwards. I was achy and I was crampy. I went to bed at 7 o'clock. It ruins my Masters Sunday. Man, I was salty. I was salty in the context of this unique little suffering. I know it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but I was still in pain. And I was salty that day. And then the next day, I woke up perfectly fine. It was like a 10-hour, you know, just 10-hour terrible sickness. The next day, I wake up perfectly fine. And that Monday, that day, my wife, she took off so we could dig window wells around our house. So we dug window wells around our house and killed my back, killed my back. And after we were finished, man, I was salty. I was salty, man. I was not a nice guy. You guys know what I'm talking about? I was not a nice guy. Man, we got, we got daughters now, ages three and one. And, you know, we don't really experience a lot of physical suffering outside of, you know, the, the, the skin penetrating uh, you know, pinches and scratches from their razor-thin nails, right? But man, raising these daughters right now at three and one, there is a lot of like emotional and mental anguish. There is. Like, these girls are crazy. <laughs> like, they are testing me. I, I, I really am. Like, I'm emotionally suffering trying to raise these girls. And it just is what it is. They're the terrible twos, you know, age three, that's what it is. But sometimes I find myself being just really salty because of this. It really affects the way that I act and who I'm called to be in Christ when, as I experience this stuff, man. And I don't have to be. We don't have to be salty in our, in our trials and in our suffering. We don't have to be that way, but I'm convicted by this. I've learned by this message that I've prepared. man. And for some reason... Suffering gives us gospel amnesia. It gives us gospel amnesia. When the trial hits, we forget. The gospel goes out the door. It's almost as if that we didn't even never know it before in the first place. And man, I'm a pastor. Like, I feel like I understand the gospel you know, in my head. But whenever I experience a trial or I'm salty in my suffering, I find out, man, the gospel just is not as deep as it needs to be in my heart. Maybe it's in my head, but it's just not as deep in my heart as it needs to be. Guys, that's what we're going to talk about, our saltiness and our suffering. We don't have to be. We don't have to have this gospel amnesia. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-10, through 10, which is our text today, Peter is going to show us what to do. He's going to give us something to do, or, or really what not to do. What not to do. And then he's going to tell us why. Why should we do this? Or why should we not do this? 
And then Peter is going to tell us how. How do we do this? So let's open the text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it's up there on the screen. The Scripture says this. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by, by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture... For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am, laying in I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter is writing this letter to Jewish Christians that are suffering, they are on the run. They're on the run, they're in exile from persecution in Rome. They're not in a familiar place. They're out of their routine. They're uncomfortable, they've lost control. They've lost control of their surroundings in this trial, in their suffering, and this is a recipe for them to fall away from faith for them to fall away from who they are in the Gospel, to fall away from the Gospel, to fall away from obedience to the Lord, to fall away from who they're called to be in the Gospel. Guys, Peter wants them to live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. We've been, we learned uh, last week to live by the Spirit and to pursue holiness. We're called to be holy, so be holy like Jesus is holy. He calls us to live by the Spirit and to live according to our calling. Don't live according to our suffering. Live according to our calling in Jesus Christ. So guys, in light of their circumstances, Peter gives them something to do or something not to do. And what does that Scripture say? Put away. Put away all malice. Put away all deceit. Put away all hypocrisy and envy and slandering. That's his to-do. He gives them something to do. And Peter, he specifically identifies five behaviors in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their trial. Man, why these? Why these? You know, maybe our trials cause us to inflict emotional and physical harm on, on somebody else. You know, our, our, just, our meanness just comes out in our suffering. And we just get malicious. We get malicious in our suffering. I experienced that. I mean, I, I became a mean dude a couple Sundays ago. You know, my back pain just made me mean. And it didn't have to be that way. I was convicted by it. He says deceit. 
deceitfulness. Maybe, maybe you just want relief from your trial and you'll deceive somebody to get it done. You'll deceive somebody to get it done. Maybe you'll tell like a pretty little lie to get some relief from your trial, from your suffering. And then he says hypocrisy. Maybe in our trial, our actions, maybe in our trial that our actions don't conform to the standards and beliefs that we claim. Man, I, I lived all of this out that weekend. Guys, he says envy. Maybe our discontentment and our resentment, maybe it causes us to envy somebody else's circumstances. And then maybe, maybe he says slander. He says, put away your slander. Guys, maybe trials can cause us to make false statements about somebody else. Guys, our suffering, it just has a way of exploding our pursuit of the gospel and who we're called to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ, guys. And look, these are all relational sins. These are all relational sins. They have to do with how we relate with other people. Peter addresses ways in which we relate to others in our suffering. So in suffering, in this verse, Peter's saying, don't be salty. Don't be salty with each other. And I'm sure, man, when you read that list, I'll tell you how I read it. When I read that list at first, when I was preparing for this, I was like, okay, yeah, like, I thought about the worst forms of malice, and I thought about the worst forms of slander and envy. I was like, I'm good. Like, I don't do this. You know, you think about the worst forms, but it's not just the worst forms. You know, don't think, oh, I'm not them, because it's also the small forms of malice and deceit, the pretty little lies, the, the little slanders, the little deceit that we experience, that, that, we, that we act out in our lives. It's about that stuff just as much. The small things that we let ourselves get away with in our marriages maybe, or in our relationships, or at work. It's the small things too. We're called to put it all away those little slanders and those little jabs in our relationships. Guys, I'm telling you, there is a grain to God's creation. A grain to God's creation. I'm going to give you just a little illustration from the golf world. Right? So on, on, when you're putting on the green, the grass, it goes towards the sun. The grass reaches for the sun. So if the sun is this way, the grass goes that way. And if the sun is over here, the grass reaches for the sun that way. So when you're putting... When you're putting against the grain, when you're putting against the grain, it's rough, it's not smooth, you have to account for that in your putt, but when you're putting with the grain, when you're putting with the grass that's going towards the sun, it's nice and smooth, you get a true roll. It's not perfect, it's not perfect, but you get a true roll on the putt. Guys, God has designed in his creation a particular grain in his creation, in a way that he wants us to conduct ourselves. Faith is a lifestyle. It's how we act. It's not just what we believe. It's how we act on our beliefs. Why can we be malicious and deceitful and hypocritical and envious and slanderous, particularly in suffering? In suffering. Guys, sin, it causes us to always think about ourselves. 
It always causes us to think about ourselves and make every conversation in every situation about me. About me. Sin causes us to think and act like it's my world and everybody else just lives in it. Amen? It's my world and everybody else just lives in it. When suffering hits, our comfort, our convenience, our control are threatened and we go into emergency mode and we don't know how to act anymore. We don't know how to act anymore. Guys, the sinful, self-centered human heart tells us to protect ourselves at the expense of others. At the expense of others. And these sinful tendencies are magnified even in the smallest forms of suffering. It all just comes out. It all just boils over. And guys, we see this a lot in marriages. We see this a lot in families. And suffering and trials can do serious damage on a marriage and on a family especially when they're not governed by the gospel. When they're not governed by the gospel. So why should we do this? Why should we put this stuff away? What does Peter say in the next verse there, in, in verses 2 and 3? He says this. That. So that's the why when he says that that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He calls us to long for the pure spiritual milk, and I'm going to explain that a little bit later. Guys, what that's saying is, like, this is the why. This is the why. It's because our growth is at stake. Man, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus for our salvation, like, it just doesn't end there. Guys, we now go on an adventure with Jesus where we, we grow. We grow in our faith. We grow in our relationship with Him. We grow into our salvation. We don't get our salvation by good works, but it's something that we grow into through the Gospel. It's something only God can save us through the Gospel, the work of the cross. That's what saves us. But we actually have, we have a part. We share in a partnership with God in our growth. And it happens through obedience. So that's the why. Our growth is at stake. God blesses obedience. He never blesses disobedience. Never. Never does He bless disobedience. Because we are saved and enter a right standing with God only through faith in Jesus. Guys, obedience doesn't get us God's favor. Only the cross does. Only the cross gives us God's favor. Only the cross does, but obedience, obedience glorifies God. God blesses us through obedience. God grows us through obedience. Peter's saying, put away these things. I want you to grow. I want you to grow. So how do I do this? How do I do this? Look, what does Peter say? Verses 4 through 10. So for most people, suffering, it's not a routine experience. You know, you got seasons of comfort, you got seasons of discomfort. For most people, suffering is not routine. It's not routine. So in a season of suffering, we're in unfamiliar territory, just like these exiles, these Jewish Christians. We feel like when we're suffering, do we not feel like we're in exile? We're in a different place. It's not routine. We feel like we're in exile. We even think that this is happening because God is rejecting me. God is rejecting me because I am suffering. Guys, the pressure squeezes us. 
The pressure of the trial squeezes us and it corners us and we buckle under the stress and we feel the, we feel the need to either fight or to flight. To fight or to flight. Instead of continuing to fight what we're called to do and who we're called to be in a relationship with God, we leave, we flight, we fly away. We leave. Everything goes out the door. We take flight from hard obedience and refer when we revert to easy nature of our old self. Who we used to be outside of Christ comes back and floods our hearts in our trials and in our suffering. Guys, we escape, we shrink back, we retreat from holy living, we fall into complacency, we revisit those sinful tendencies. Guys, this is what those Christians are facing. So how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I stay on the course, man? How do I fight? In verses 4 through 10, it tells us, it tells us in verses 4 through 10, to do this, to fight and not flight, we need to know about identity. We need to know about our identity in Christ. Identity. Guys, Peter reminds them of who Jesus is. He reminds them of who Jesus is and he reminds them of who they are in Christ. I only know who I am when I know Christ and who He is. That's the only way I know who I am is when I know who Christ is and who He is and what He has done. And this is especially true in suffering. We have got to know our identity and we have got to fall back on our identity in Christ. And that's what Peter shares here. Jesus, He's a lot of things, man. You read through the Scriptures, He's a lot of things. But to a suffering people in this case, Peter wants them to know this about Jesus. He appeals to their knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures and Isaiah and Psalms. These Jewish Christians, they know these texts. He is speaking to them in a personal and intimate way through God's Word. And those Scriptures talk about this Messiah who will be a stone, who will be a cornerstone, chosen and precious in the sight of God. Through God the Son, Jesus, God the Father was and continues to build the work of redemption in the world and in our lives through this living stone, Jesus Christ. Why is Jesus this stone? Why is He this stone that holds the whole building together? Why is He chosen and precious in the sight of God? Why? Because of what He did. It's because of the Gospel. It's because of what He did. You cannot separate the cross from who He is. You cannot do it. The cross is who Jesus is. Guys, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3-4, through it says this. This is the Gospel. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel of first importance under, under total pressure on the cross. Jesus was cornered in. He was cornered in. He did not buckle from the pressure of His suffering on the cross. He fought. He stayed the course to bring us redemption. You see, in Christ, we die to our sin. You look at the cross, and you put the cross on us and our experience. In Christ, on the cross, He died. At the cross, we die to our sin. 
We die to it. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander are all, slander are all buried. They experience a death. They are buried. And then we are resurrected. We are resurrected into new life. Our, our emotions, our reactions, and who we are becomes to be resurrected into a new identity, a new person, into a new way of life in Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 2.20. Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we put our faith in Jesus, we along with our sin, our malice and our deceit and our envy and hypocrisy and slander, they are crucified with Christ. They are crucified with Christ. The cross kills them because it kills its power. The cross kills the power. This is what the pure spiritual milk is. That pure spiritual milk is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The basic fundamental truth of the word of the gospel and what it means to our daily lives. Obedience to the gospel in our lives. Peter challenges them and us to long for this. To long for it. Like infants long for their milk. I see this every day with our one-year-old. That girl loves her milk. Let me tell you something. Give me that milk. I know she's thinking that. She wants her milk. She slaps whatever it is away that's in front of her, and she just goes after that, and she just starts chugging. <laughs> Man, guys, are we, are, we, are we chugging the gospel? I'm telling you, man, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm not, man. When I react a couple weekends ago, I was not chugging the gospel. I was not going bottoms up on the gospel. Are you? This is why God, Jesus, is the living stone. This is why he's chosen and precious in the sight of God. It's because of what he did. It's because of the gospel. He's the cornerstone. So we know Jesus' identity. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our identity? I only know who I am when I know Christ and who he is. And this is especially true in suffering because suffering can steal our identity away in Christ. That weekend, it stole my identity away in Christ. It stole it away. It can steal our identity away in Christ. It's very common for suffering to just become our identity. To become our identity. It can wrongly shape us. It can, we can make wrong decisions based on it. Bad decisions can become worse because of our suffering. It clouds our point of view. Our trials, they cloud our point of view. When not governed by the gospel, suffering very often leads to one of two paths to one of two paths, either self-pity, self-pity, or apathy. It either leads to self-pity, which is excessive, self-absorbed, self-absorbed unhappiness over our own troubles, or apathy, where we just become numb. We just become numb to the suffering. And we don't let ourselves feel anything at all. And that's not right either. 
That's not right either. Guys, the fruit of both of these is often malice and deceit and slander and envy and hypocrisy, even in the smallest ways. The gospel addresses both. The gospel addresses both. The cross shows us that we are broken and sinful, more broken and sinful than we can ever imagine. More broken and sinful than we can ever imagine. But the gospel, it softens and it tenderizes our heart. The gospel, it humbles us. It empties us of pride and self-centeredness that leads to those sins. And at the very same time, it shows us that we are more loved than we can imagine. We are more loved than we can possibly imagine by God, evidenced by the cross. Guys, Jesus knows the worst about you. He knows the worst about you. And yet, He's the one that loves you the most. He's the one that loves you the most. Guys, this, this love, it fills us. The cross, it fills us and it builds us up. It fortifies our hearts in confidence, not in ourselves, our confidence in Christ and who we are in Christ. Guys, in suffering, there's nothing to be malicious about. There's nothing to be malicious about. There's nothing to be deceitful about or hypocritical about or envious about or slanderous about. We don't have to live in self-pity, nor do we have to live in this apathy because we have all we need in the protective, loving, gracious arms of God in Christ. We have all we need. Jesus is enough in our suffering. Guys, Peter is saying, be confident. Be confident. Be confident in the work God has done for you on the cross in the Gospel. That's what he's saying here. Be confident. It gives us a new identity. Faith is not... He's not just saying, be nice. Faith is not about being nice. It's about being new. It's about being new. He's saying, be new. Know your identity in Christ. You are a new person in Christ. You are freed from malice and deceit and envy and hypocrisy and slander. You are freed from these things in your new identity. Suffering is my reality. It can be. It will be. It is my reality, but it's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's not who I am. Remember in Galatians what Paul said, no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Through faith, you're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. But what he shows us here in this text is that we are everything that Jesus is. Do you see that in the text? We share in his suffering, but we share in his identity and in his glory. It says, like Jesus, I am a living stone. Jesus is a living stone. I am a living stone. I am built up as part of a spiritual house. I am chosen and precious, he's saying. I am a part of a holy, royal priesthood. Jesus is the high priest, and I am a part of this priesthood through faith in Christ. I am God's own possession. I am chosen and precious because of Jesus. This is my identity now. I am not a sufferer. 
I'm not a sufferer. I am chosen and I am precious. I am a priest. I'm God's own possession. Who suffers? Who suffers? Suffering doesn't mean I'm rejected by God because it was Jesus' rejection on the cross that's my acceptance. That's my acceptance. Jesus' rejection is my acceptance into this new life, this new identity. Guys, in suffering, don't trade your identity in Christ in exchange for the identity of your old self. Your old self, your identity as a sufferer. Don't trade your identity in Christ for these things. They will bury you. I love this example, man. You're all Eagles fans. Carson Wentz, yep. Yep. Wentz, I'm actually a Giants fan, but I had fun during the Eagles season. (laughs) Wentz gets hurt. 13 games into the season, man. This guy's having a phenomenal year. MVP year. 13 games into the season, he gets hurt and he's out for the rest of the season. And the next day, he puts on Twitter a video. I love his honesty. There was no self-pity in his response. There was no apathy. In the Twitter video, Carson was just like, guys, listen, I'm not going to lie, I'm struggling with this. You know, his own unique trial in this. I'm, I'm suffering, like I'm struggling with this. But he's grounded in his identity in Christ. He knows that there's a plan, and he's not worried about it. He's honest about it. Suffering was his reality, and he knows that. It was his reality, but it was not his identity. And then actually, just recently, a couple days ago, God, I think, was teeing this up for my message. There was an article that came out. They were reflecting back on that time when he got hurt, and, and, and the article was talking about this. They asked him, in, in suffering the injury, uh, and in his trial, and everything that came along with missing the rest of the season, the Super Bowl as a starting quarterback, and when he was asked recently if he was jealous or if he was envious, was he envious in his suffering? He, said, he says, he doesn't say yes, but he doesn't say no either. He's being honest. He says, you've got to fight that. You've got to fight that. You've got to fight that envy that, come ups, that, that comes up in a situation like this. You've got to fight that, man. Here's a guy that did not flight. He did not flight, fly away from his identity in Christ. He says, you got to fight that, man. It's human nature to want to be on that podium and to be that guy. You grow up wanting to be there, but not being able to be up there. There's nobody I'd rather have up there than Nick. This is a guy, suffering was his reality. He knows his identity in Christ. There was no self-pity. There was no apathy. He was grounded in his identity with Christ, and it allowed him to do some powerful things on that team. Man, can we have that approach in our trials and in our suffering? Can we put away our old self and our old sin in our trials and in our suffering? Can we remember who we are in Christ? Can we be grounded in our faith in Christ and what He did on the cross? Man, suffering is our reality. It's going to happen if it's not now. You're going to be in a season of suffering, but it's not your identity. 
It's going to be your reality, but not your identity. Guys, in our suffering, Peter calls us to put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. He tells us to stay the course, to fight. Don't flight. Why? So that we will grow in our relationship with God. How? Our identity in Christ. Knowing who Jesus is, knowing who Jesus is, then knowing who I am in Christ. That's how we do it. I am a living stone. I am built up, chosen and precious, a royal priesthood, God's own possession. I am not Jesus, but I am what Jesus is. Peter is showing us in this text. Let's pray.